Okay, how we doing? Um, <clears throat> how many of you been to this class before? All oh, right, that's good. Then you, 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 I can tell all my same jokes again. <laughs> well, to start off with, I, w I did want to tell you a story. A young lawyer opened his new office and was delighted to see a client waiting for him. He asked, how may I help you? The client, a farmer, replied, I want a divorce. The lawyer said, well, let's see if you have a case. No, said the farmer, I have a John Deere. <laughs> what I mean is, do you have a suit? Sure, I have a suit, said the farmer. I wear it to church every Sunday. The lawyer tried to gain other information with, do you have a grudge? Yes, I have a grudge. That's where I keep my John Deere, answered the farmer. <laughs> I'm looking for a cause for a divorce. For example, does she beat you up? Oh, no, I get it before she does, said the <laughs> farmer. Then tell me, why do you want a divorce? My wife and I have a problem with communication. The point is, in trying to communicate some of what I do in orchard production, you will have to translate what you hear and see to your own circumstances, and my choice of structure and words may not always be the best. I want to share this quote from the Book of Education. Every human being created in the image of God is endowed with a power akin to that of the Creator. Individuality, power to think and to do. I give this to express that we each have our God-given individual thinking and ability to use. There are a lot of individual details in your circumstances. Glean what you can from this and many other sources and apply them to yours. Just because I do things a certain way doesn't mean it will be the same for you. It sometimes takes years to decide certain ways to do things based on circumstances, crops, spacing, money, farming philosophy, education, to name a few. <clears throat> With so many avenues to go down on this topic of orcharding, I plan primarily to go through my seasons for sugar plums, prunes, fall, winter, spring, summer, and certain aspects of other orchards because I, it may be helpful to cover a broader range. I recommend using your local university extension office or ag advisor for research and filter that with your own knowledge and ideas. Now there are many resources available online. It's hard to miss getting lots of information, but also misinformation. Find someone with experience in your area, visit other farms and farmers. Even where I live, what I do may not translate exactly to someone who farms in the dirt in the foothills just 15 miles away. Many times I think much of what I do is simple enough to be called farming for dummies. At least that is how I feel about certain aspects of what I do. What I present may not satisfy your interests or needs. I will try to keep this short enough to give time for questions. I would like to be more candid with my, in my presentation but in the essence of time, I will stick mostly to my words, and I'll try to allow some time for interaction. Um, I'd like to have questions as we go along, but they had said, hey, could we do questions at the end? And uh, basically, I'm here to serve and to share within the realm of my experience. Um, this is just a picture of our uh, prunes. 
So just to maybe you wonder, sometimes people ask, well, what's the difference between prunes and plums? And I've grown up growing prunes my whole life. So it's just been part of my life. We always call them prunes. Prunes, prunes, prunes. Prune trees, prunes on, prunes on the tree, prunes off the tree, whatever, they're prunes. But a while back, the marketing group in, in California said, uh, or I guess, yeah, California's where most of the prunes are grown, said, hey, uh, we're not selling as many prunes. What can we do to sell more prunes? So they went to the customer, the consumer, and said, do you like these better, these prunes, dried prunes, or do you like these dried plums better? Well, most people like dried plums better. So they started to call them dried plums. The same thing. I didn't say most people, but maybe certain groups. So, so, so here, but here's the circle. Now, just in the last few years, so we have a bargaining association, prune bargaining association, which markets the prunes. And it, we pay fees to, you know, to, to advertise and all that stuff. They just went back to prunes again. They said, look, we're going to embrace prunes. So now they went back and called them prunes. Now it's the slogan, new slogan is, you, hopefully you've seen this, probably you haven't, is prunes for life. That's the new uh, California slogan, prunes for life. And I think it's pretty good, you know, because, you know, you eat prunes for your life and eat them your whole life, right? Well, of course. See, she knows. So anyway, that's, that's, uh, this is the fresh on the tree, in the bin, and after they're dried. Um, no, but I'm going to get into that a little bit. I was wondering how we how we dry those. Hopefully, if you're, it won't be till probably the second hour. Uh, we're trying to leave time for questions at the end of this time. Um, so, just just a picture of a little contrast. I farm with organic production methods, which is, has its benefits and downsides, as conventional ag does as well. I am just showing you what I do. I'm not disparaging anyone's methods. This there's a wide range of tools and methods if you aren't tied to any self-production or market rules. This is a picture of conventionally grown peaches, California peaches. I helped my brother produce these in a separate operation than mine. This is an award we received from the California Canning Peach Association. This is as it states, awarded annually to re recognize the association member with the highest deliveries, quality deliveries statewide. And this was our peaches. So you can use many methods to produce a good crop. So it just shows you a picture of what we've, we've done with our, we grow peaches too, and, and this is some of our uh, conventional peaches. And they gave it, you know, I was pretty impressed. I thought, well, that's pretty good for the state. Um, so now I'm kind of stepping into our process. In the fall, after harvest, I will put on at least one, maybe two irrigations. I will then take out dead trees or push out a whole orchard if I'm starting a new one. Then prep the ground before the winter rain starts. So here's just a picture. I'm going to try out this new gizmo. See if this, see if you like this. So here's here's my grandkids right here, and they're opening the gate for the, helping me open the gate to irrigate my walnuts in the back. So I that's just show them put on water, get a dead tree. So we're taking these out in the fall. This is my little tractor with the brush rake. So we're pushing them out. Uh, just, just uh, you know, infrequent trees that we can take out in the fall after harvest. Uh, next slide. So, generally, if I'm starting a new orchard, I will plant a rotation crop for a season or several years. That will be something like wheat, safflower, 
hay or vegetable crop. Then I will be back to rip, level, and prep the ground for an orchard. During that time, I can pull soil samples and add amendments and plan my irrigation system. So here's my, um, we had a little, planted a little block of, uh, uh, of grass, hay, one summer after vegetables, and we're gonna put it in an orchard pretty soon. So here's, here's the planter, and here's our hay crop that we're, my grandson out there, and then some wheat we grew, and then this is an example of, this is not my equipment, but this is an example of, I was just driving down the road one day and my neighbor was out ripping some ground, and, and uh, so I stopped and took some pictures. So this is just one of the aspects of what we do sometimes. Sometimes I'll hire, hire a deal like this to come in if we're going behind a, especially walnuts, which have a lot of root, heavy roots and left in the ground, we'll go in and rip it up and pull out the roots. In my case, uh, this is just a picture of show, showing what, what's done in our area, and many times that's what people do after an orchard comes out. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't have that type of equipment, but I'll hire it sometimes. Um, let's see, anything else on that? Okay, so, yeah, this is more my style. This is my tractor and I, a little subsoiler. If I have a little deep ripping to do, I use something like this with a color packer. Um, so if the area is, is large, I will use a local surveyor to lay out the orchard grid and an irrigation supplier to plan the irrigation system. This is important to calibrate if, if going into drip type irrigation, pressure, flow, trees water, trees water needs at peak, summer peak, to get all that stuff right. Neither one is needed if you have the time and knowledge to do a combination of both. Sometimes, because at times I'm putting, I'm putting both together uh, to fit my needs. So, you know, if some of you guys might have an engineering degree or something, you can do all that work yourself. I, I, uh, this is my, the guy that I hired, he's been around, his dad, he knew his dad, and now he's doing surveying work in the community. So he, came, he comes out and he helps me set my, my main points for the grid. He doesn't set up each tree spot. So what we do, he'll, he'll set up a, and say every 200 feet and put a marker in. And then what we will do is we'll take and we, I just dip these in some whitewash paint so I can see them in the field. And then we set up a, a cable rather than tape because he uses steel, a steel cable as well because you, you want something that's not going to stretch. Because when you go a long distance pretty soon, you know, you're going to be off. You want it to be right on. And so then we, we paint up our stakes and then we, we, we take and mark a cable and we put a mark where every tree is going to go. We pick a little cable clamp, put a little ribbon on so you can see it when it's dragging through the dirt. And then we stretch it with these, uh, I put a, uh, we welded a foot place on here and a foot place on there. We just poke those in the ground, we pull them, pull them back to stretch the cable. And then we, we put the, the, the one end on what his, his mark that he's put in and everything else we we just go through with the stakes and buckets like these, the crew up here, and we put our, put our fill in with our, our tree markers. So that marks our trees. In this case, I was doing a smaller box, so we, we did use the tape here, and it w didn't have to be as perfect. So then we're just going with buckets, we're putting in all our stakes in. Um, this is an irrigation adaptation to suit my needs. Uh, I recently set up an irrigation, uh, drip irrigation system with all buried hoses. So I can mow and control weeds without hoses or emitters to get in the way. Though most of my irrigation is flood from a canal system, I will, which I'll show you later. So I'm just, this is just showing you a little bit of aspects, you know, putting in our main line. And you can see here's where my, we finally got our, we got our tree markers in, so we marked our trees. So then we know where to put our drip line. And then I just have a little tool. 
I pull behind my tractor, that's me on the tractor, and we're just uh, guiding those into the ground. We're shanking that underground. So here you can see the tube then is, oh, that's the next slide. So we put our tubing underground, and uh, that's just showing how we do that. Uh, that oh, that's about nine inches, I think, in this case, somewhere in that range, whatever. I'll show you this next slide, you'll see. Um, so this is what I set up primarily for weed control while my trees are young. As my trees get older, I prefer to move to a different system of irrigation, more beneficial to the long-term biological system of pr production using flood irrigation. So I, I, I'm placing this, this is a little pressure compensating emitter. So if my pressure is high at my pump, this compensates for it and only allows a certain amount of gallons per minute or hour, or whatever you set this up, these are color coded by I think probably gallons per minute or per hour, I can't remember, probably per hour. And these are the drippers. If I, if I left it just to drip there, I get root intrusion. So I've, there's a guy who makes these whole systems, and this really set up, up nice for me because I was doing my homemade stuff before this. And then this just, uh, it's like a sponge hose, lets the water seep into the ground after the emitter. So that way I can bury this thing and I don't get root intrusion into my emitter. And so then I just tied it into my underground line and I built a little jig that so I can know exactly where, where the emitter is. And I, this is the right size tube to, to make big enough to get this other tube in the ground like this. And in hindsight, I would, I would have lifted this up a little bit. I put it a little bit too deep. I didn't want water coming to the surface because I didn't want weeds to grow. But in hindsight, now that I'm mowing and I don't worry about the young trees, I'd like the water to come up a little bit. So when I'm irrigating, I can go, okay, they're getting water. Because now I gotta, you know, sometimes you go out there and think everything's dry on top. And you think, oh no, is it getting water? So I don't keep this as a long-term system because that's true. All the ground out here will stay dry with a drip system. I like to move eventually to a flood system so my water is inundates the whole ground and I get good biological activity through my whole profile of my soil, not just around the tree where the drip is. If you're doing chemical irrigation, chemical fertilizer, sometimes you can get away with this. And a lot of guys are going to all drip. I like the flood and we have good water in Northern California. We, fairly cheap still and oh yeah it's going to just everywhere yeah that and that's that's the difference and I don't know if I bring this up here or later that's the difference in my system I I plan way ahead of time for my weed control so when I did my walnut orchard I might get into that a little bit I did a similar system but I didn't have this type of dripper um, and so I because if I can control my water by, around my trees, I can control my weeds when they're little. After they're big, I don't worry too much because I can mow and I'll show you some of that stuff. Um, so I'm trying to, you know, it takes time to think through all these aspects of how I'm going to manage things from row spacing, soil type, pruning styles, root stalks, and equipment I'm going to use because of tree size and the kind I'm planting. For example, most of my prune orchards are between 16 and 20 feet apart. I can get away with a narrower spacing in the row if most of my equipment is driving through the width. So in the row, may I may take, make it 16 feet and 18 or 20 for the width. My walnuts are 24 by 28 to allow for more room, room for bigger trees. The tree's use of sunlight is a major factor, filling the space well but not too much to allow sunlight as in as the tree sizes. I consider more width in other equipment such as harvesters, to allow room and efficiency of time as much as possible. So if I'm driving, I've got my, if I'm, my main drive row is my, my width. 
I'm in it so I can get my equipment through. In the row, I can put them closer together because I'm, I'm not trying to get between those as much going crossways. So in this case, you know, with my walnuts, you need room for equipment. Here's, here's you know, the, this is the harvester we use now, but it, we did this year a little bit. This is pretty long equipment, It'd be, and then this is my prune harvester. So this, you know, you need some width in here to get this equipment, plus you're trying to catch all the fruit off as a tree gets big, you know, to catch that full canopy. Sometimes you get some fruit jumping over the side here. So you need, you know, width to catch all that. And then, of course, this is a 12-foot mower. We've got 10-foot. So you just, depending on what kind of size equipment, how much ground you got to cover at one time, you know, we just, and tractors and that kind of stuff. It may not be, if you're just walking through the field and you're using a weed eater, then, you know, you don't need all that kind of stuff, but. Um, when prepping a new orchard, I will hire a laser leveler to, to set my slope, regardless of irrigation type, because I want the winter rains to flow off the field, not just for the slope of the summer irrigation, but for the winter as well. Sloping prevents wet pockets that will potentially kill the trees, and especially if the soil types are heavy and hold water. Usually I'm putting in a 1 to 2% grade, depending on soil type, and crop and length of run. Alfalfa, for example, needs a steeper grade to avoid standing water, which can kill it. It needs to get on and get off, especially in our area where it's hot. If you let that water sit and we get 100, what do we have this last summer, 115 or something like that, the high temperature? You know, that water in there, if it sits, it'll kill that alfalfa. And of course, it'll do the same thing to trees. And in the winter, if it sits, it'll kill the roots too. So this just is, you know, we hired this guy to come in. We don't have this kind of equipment. He laser leveled our ground. You know, if you're familiar with that, they set up a little thing that shoots a laser, and then you can just, on your tractor, it reads it here, and it just adjusts your bucket precisely where you want that dirt to cut and fill. Used to be we did it with old graders, and we'd stake it with and red and green, red and, uh, red and blue markers for cuts and fills, and you had to physically look at the stake and try to cut and fill and match that. This just puts it down to the perfect. Uh, this is just a picture of showing you an example. This is one of our fields we had, a, we just were putting in our vegetable beds and we had a, a heavy rain. And so we need that rain to get on and get off. And of course, you know, we don't want it sitting there. It'll, it's not good for the vegetable ground either. And so we, we have our drain here. It's a low ground here. We just haven't cut it out, but that's just to give you an example of what can happen in the wintertime too, not just to get our summer irrigation off. Uh, this is an example of root, you know, we, uh, a heavy root um, root stock we're using now. This is called a Kremps 86, and it's a plum peach hybrid kind of thing, and it's really vigorous, real strong, uh, real nice root stock. We're kind of going to this type now. Um, so I do most of my tree planting prep in the fall, after harvest, before the winter rains. I want to have a crumbly, dry soil when I do this. So it airs it out and doesn't pack. For replants with an for replants with an existing orchard, I will backhoe out dead trees and roots in a four to five foot hole or deeper and add whatever dressing I have or I consider needed at that time. In my case, I we utilize horse manure and perfect blend. My wife has horses, so that really works well. Uh, you can get horse manure most any place around. It seems like. Uh, Perfect Blend is another compost fertilizer I use, real high quality compost uh, or something of that nature. If you have determined any other types of amendment, amendments you need, this will be a good time to incorporate them. 
I add this material in as I backfill the hole and then let it rest, allowing biological processes to take place and soil to settle until planting time. This pre-plant prep makes the planting process and timing much easier when I'm ready to plant a tree. And I can't, this is, I want to emphasize this. I, people call me and they want to plant trees and they want to do all this amendments and they want to fix it up perfect and all that stuff. And I'm thinking, you're doing that now? You, this is like four months ahead of time before I'm ever going to plant a tree. Or maybe if I'm doing an orchard, it might be two years. Uh, so then when I'm ready to put my tree in, I just wait for the right weather. Boom, got it in. I will not plant trees until later, in late winter or early spring when the soil and weather is right for bare root trees, not too wet. The, ex the exception is potted trees. I like to plant those in the fall, and I'll explain that in a little bit. Um, realize I'm describing my situation. I'm in California, and I'm telling you what I do. Uh, so plan for the trees you want. I keep this in mind when planting a new orchard, sometimes two years in advance. I usually have an estimate of trees I need each year and put in an order for that ahead of time. That's just for replants. A lot of times I have trees that have died, I gotta replant them, but I gotta get my order in early. If I wait to put it in an order in the fall for spring planting, I may need to wait another year if the nursery doesn't have surplus. Most nurseries are planting to order now, not just speculating on sales. Used to be, you know, you just call them up, oh yeah, we got extra trees. You know, nursery guys are not doing that so much. If you want trees, you've got to order them, and it takes sometimes a year to get them. They'll plant them a year ahead of time, maybe two. I, when I grew nursery stock, it took me two years to produce a tree. So I'd, I'd plant my root stock, and then I'd bud it in the fall, and then I'd grow that on um, another year on that, on that bud, and then I'd harvest it next year. So it take, same, took a couple years to do it. Uh, they're getting quicker now, um, but... Sometimes they're doing tissue culture and all that kind of stuff. Uh, let's see. So, throughout the winter and spring, I prune trees. I prune trees. This is my daughter, Elise, doing some pruning. And this is some weed control I'm doing with a flamer. Um, I found this to be helpful at very specific times. Usually after harvest, after the first... Well, you know, I didn't... I'm going to go back one here and just two actually so I didn't explain this slide here right here so I want to just kind of go back to this a minute we're this is my my start way of getting a, a nice big loose ground for my my trees and I'm taking this doesn't show everything we're doing but this is horse manure we just take and dig a hole then we're sh we kind of estimate how much we want this is what I call my dressing so I'm using whatever I've got, and this is what I've got. Plus, I use the high compost comp fertilizer. And then I've, if I've determined that, hey, I need, you know, in your analysis of things where I, I'm pulling soil samples and, and uh, doing tree analysis, I do that in July, and I'll get to that a little bit later, to kind of give me an idea of what I need to be doing in my soils. And I need to do a little something here. I'll do it here, and I'll just add my material in, and we just mix that in as we, we backfill that hole. And we just take that back hole, and we just kind of go like this. And just loosen it up. When I get down, it looks like a, you know, like you just dug a big grave out there, and it's mounded up. Probably sits, you know, maybe this high off the ground. And so by letting it sit, I don't want to plant a tree right then. Everything's kind of raw, and it's just, you know. And then the rain, it, it'll settle. If I plant it then, it, it'll settle. I might be planting in a hole by the time the rain settles. But so I like the winter rain to settle that hole, 
let it settle the ground and kind of tighten up. And then when I plant my tree, I know right where it's going to go. So that's, that kind of makes it makes a nice, uh, nice deal there. So where am I now? So, okay, here we are. And the dressing is what again? Well, in my case, it's horse manure. And then I use, uh, I use, a, I use a real high-quality uh, uh, egg-laying ch chicken manure compost. I think I'm going to get into that in a little bit, um, a little bit later. And I'll touch on that a little bit. And some other things I'll touch on. Uh, so this is, in this case, uh, so um, let's see, where am I? Um, so I'm talking about burning weeds. It says, I've found this to be helpful at very specific times usually after harvest, after the first rain, before the leaves fall, although I've had good success at other times when the conditions were right in later winter. I use this in my walnut orchard next to the trees, partly because of the need to have a clean orchard floor for har the harvest of walnuts. Controlling perennial weeds is expensive and not as effective with this method. I found this to be an effective, effective for annuals just after the weeds sprout, before the true leaves start and there's no fire hazard. The heat d will damage the le tree leaves, so after harvest this is not as critical. So this is very specific I, in the winter time is usually when I've done it, but if you're trying to burn weeds with any kind of either a flamer or any kind of chemical uh, weed control, even there's organic chemical weed control you can use, you know, there's materials out there you probably heard them, like suppress is one I can think of. It's an acid. But you can mix it with like an oral boost, an orange oil, or a, some kind of oil, and it'll burn, burn the leaves. But even if you're doing that, um, you know, you wait for the true leaves to show up or the roots to get established, and you're not going to kill that thing very easy. So if you just, I like to, if I, and it's not perfect because not every year is the same. You get a first rain after harvest because we, we want this floor to be clean. When we when we pick walnuts up, um, it's a little bit of a balancing act because we put a cover crop in here and we got to work it down by the time we get to harvest. But we try to keep it clean next to the next to the trees, and that just as soon as those things start to sprout before the leaves come down, you go through with that. And it looks like it looks almost like you. My my neighbors think I'm doing conventional farming, because it looks so nice. It looks like a regular clean orchard. Um, in this case, now I'm going to talk a little bit about this. Um, this is our potted trees. We did this one year, and I've done several. But the thing with potted trees I found, at least in our area, is you've got to, we, we like to put them in the fall. If you use a bare root tree, that's okay in the spring because it makes direct contact with the clay and the soil right away. It's in that, in that dirt. When the roots start, they get right into the parent soil. If you're going to use a potted plant, by putting it in October in our area, we, we're getting it started as the winter rains start, and that tree can still be growing and get established into the clay before it goes dormant. And it's not going to be starving for water in the heat of the spring when you just plant that thing and it's just trying to suck water out of the ground. All it's going to get the water is out of that little pot right there until those roots get into the clay. So it takes some time for that to get established. We'll, in the fall, we'll just We'll kind of nurse it a little bit, maybe give it one or two. But it, since it's going dormant, it, it gets into the ground and, and it gets established. And then in the spring, it's just ready to go. When the heat comes and the moisture's there, you're not have to worry about irrigating that thing when the when the summer heat's are, heat is coming on. It's just already moving into the soil. So that's the difference between this pot and planting bare root in the spring or in the fall. As soon as I get back from this 
conference. I'm ready to plant. We've had some nice dry weather. I'm ready to put trees in the ground. So I'm going to probably, all of that work I just showed you, we, that's all been done. All, all that backhoe, all my amendments and everything is, is and I'm just going to, now the ground's ready, I'm going to put that in. Um, so um, this is a little bit about pruning. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about pruning this afternoon, pruning and grafting. So, but I want to touch on this in case you're not going to be in that class because this does pertain to orcharding. So for, for early pruning techniques, I use a 30 to 36 inches for the trunk and then a 3-6-8 pattern for my scaffoldings. And I'll go through that with you, which I will explain yes, some now. So if you're not in my pruning graphing class, so I'm just repeating myself. Um, when I first plant the tree, I will prune all the limbs off and cut the tree off about 30 to 36 inches. This will form the trunk. After the first year's growth, as you see here, I will select three main scaffolds or branches. As What's that? No, no, you're going to have to adapt to what you want. I'll explain that in a little bit. Uh, it's not for all kind of trees. There's differences, you know, a lot of different trees. I'll, I'll kind of go through that. Um, so after the first year's growth, as you see, so I'll select these, um, these three main scaffolds and cut them back. The first few years, my intention is to form the tree. You can prune it longer in length and it will produce earlier fruit but it may not be as strong of an initial framework. So here you can see I'm, I planted this orchard. You can't quite see the top of the tree, but I'm out there just cut. So I just take everything off. And the reason, one of the reasons is because you want that, as that top size, you, you, this has all been pruned. You know, you cut that out of the ground on the bare root tree and you want this, as the top tries to grow, you want it to be balanced. So by taking these limbs off, they're not trying to grow, draw from the roots that don't have any, aren't in the soil yet. So, and then also by cutting them all off, you're, it's going to produce a, a scaffold that's fairly balanced and it's all going to grow at the top generally right here, as you can see. So this is what happened. I cut it off and then that's where I cut it. And then this grew out. You can't see the top of the tree. They're probably, you know, five, six, eight, eight, ten 10 feet long or whatever it is. And so then I'm selecting, this is the same tree. And I, all I did here was just cut it right here. Boom. I just, that's one cut. And then I have these three left. One, two, three. Balance around there. And now I cut this a little bit short. I, I look at this tree and I'm going, eh, I probably should have cut it a little longer. But the reason I did that is because I'm trying to, at this case, I'm trying to get these trees to move outward and make an open base. And as I'll show you in the next, in the next slide here, um, is an open, as we move through this process. So that's, that's one. So I'm, if you want a lower crotch, say for example, this tree, say for example, came out of the nursery and it's only this tall right here. You didn't have anything more. And some of the, those potted plants I get, they aren't full height. They're not where I want them to be. So I'll plant them and I, even though I cut them off here, I'm still going to, when it grows next, so it grows next year, boom. I'm not going to cut it like this. I'm going to cut it off again because I want that trunk right there. I don't want it down here. So I'm going to let this tree, even though it might have pushed out here and pushed out there and everything else, and it grew up, say if I cut, it was only here in the nursery, I'll let it come all the way up, wherever it's going to go, and I'll cut it again. So it might take another year, if it's a small tree, to get my trunk that I want. But in this case, it's, these are, this is my little orchard out here. It's pushed good, and I'm just taking what I want. 
So that's, that's kind of what that's about. Um, so the next year, you'll see here, I'm continuing the framework, framework and, and I select six limbs, plus or minus, to continue the structure of the tree. Two from each of the three limbs a year before, <coughs> gradually opening the tree. The next year, I will select limbs from those to make eight to ten limbs for my main structure. In, the pro in this process, I keep in mind to encourage the growth and direction of my main primary limbs. I will generally not select secondary limbs from those primaries below my shoulder, some because those will be in the way of tractor tires and harvesters as we move through the field. Also, if the secondaries are encouraged too soon, they will draw strength from the primaries. As the tree continues up to its full height, I will rope and eventually put a galvanized tree wire around the whole tree to keep it from breaking and falling apart as it loads up with fruit. So again, I'll be talking about this a little more. So I'm going to kind of look. So here's, here's my next. So here's those three. Not, this isn't the same tree, but I'm just telling you. So I, those where I cut it. So this, this is what happened to it. I cut them here. Boom, boom, boom. And here's what happened next year. These go up, you know, 10, 12 feet tall or whatever they are. And so then I've got a lot of limbs there. What am I going to do? You start standing with that tree and you're going to walk around it three or four or five times. And you can say, I, I'm tired of this. I'm going to go to the next tree. You know, because I can figure what to cut. But so if you have an idea, you're going to know what to do. So in my case, I'm selecting two off those three. So here's my three. Here's my six. Now, there might be seven in there because that was a little bit too low. And I, I didn't want to cut everything off because you need at least. I don't worry too much about these little dinky things that are in, underneath in here. I'm just mainly, if you leave too much of these secondaries, these low ones, like I said, early, then you're going to rob the strength from your main structure of your tree and these are going to take it and they're going to go off here somewhere and you your little uh, main one's going to piddle out and it's not going to have any strength so you need when it's early you know focus that growth into the where the main structure of the tree that you want to keep i don't know if you can see that well enough on here maybe it doesn't show up very good but it, this is now this is the, so this is the next year so this is the second leaf this is my third leaf so now here's my six that i took off of there with a bunch of other stuff in there and so here's the six. You can see they go up this far. You know, there's six of those. And then I'm taking eight off of those and keep kind of keep my scaffold, my open. This is an open vase style. So you asked a question about for all trees. No, I've got another pruning style for walnuts. And I'm, I'm working on a different pruning style on my prunes now, not this same one. This is pretty standard um, for, for what I'm doing here. And peaches. Peaches. Peaches, you might not leave as much main scaffolds, but but you can. Uh, so then, so then I'm just then I, eventually, as it gets up to full height, I'm going to rope and wire it, put a rope around it. So because these will still be soft enough that they're going to come open, if you if you don't, and because you got gravity, of course, and then you got fruit. Um, so that's just that's the this is, here's my third leaf right there. Um, so then I'm uh, so in the winter and early spring when planting trees, I'm just digging a hole with shovels big enough to place the tree because I've already done my major tree hole prep earlier in the fall. In the case of a whole field, all our deep ripping and soil prep is done ahead of time like you saw with that big big rig I showed you. At planting time, I'm just fine tuning nutrients and, a, and using a well-placed high quality compost fertilizer as well as beneficial soil bacteria mixed with liquid compost tea. I'm currently using Perfect Blend Compost, which you can get various 
is the 444-442, which also has mycorrhizae bacteria as well. And I use an 819 bacteria blend from growth products and from Converter Organics, a 321 compost tea. There are many types of these available and it doesn't need to be these. In my case, I place, so let me just talk about that a little bit. So um, I'm just adding a little bit more at this time. It's not a big deal, but just to give it an extra boost, I, I add a, a, a mix of, it's a powder. It's, the 819 comes with a charge of uh, kelp and um, molasses and some food for the bacteria. And it's a, it's a, um, what's, what's, the, what's the bacteria? Uh, uh, yeah, well, it's the mycorrhizae is in the compost. But this, this other bacteria is uh, Bacillus subtilis, strains of Bacillus subtilis, beneficial bacteria for the, for the soil. I'm trying to just add biology to my ground as I, as I plant. And then, of course, the 321 is just a compost tea, comes with a liquid. I just kind of do a mild 1% solution of that. So that's just, and I'm just adding that little bit as I plant the tree. I'll, I'll explain the tree planting a little bit. So in my case, I place the strongest roots to the southeast because of prevailing winds in our area. So our, our strong winds come from the southeast. And so I put my strong root in the ground if I can, as I'm planting it, to that direction and it comes from the north. So that'll help strengthen the tree when the wind blows strong roots on that area. Um, I put the curvature of the bud union to the west to minimize sunburn and generally plant the tree the same ground level as the nursery. Then I cut the tree off with the level I want my first limbs for tree scaffolding to develop, like we showed earlier, and completely whitewash the tree to prevent sunburn. So here you can see I've got a couple different fields in here. This is flat. This is, uh, we, we ran our berms up with a, a better, and we put drip line in the ground right with a better. And here's, here's a little planting board. So once we have that tree stake in the ground, we use this planting board because when you dig, start digging your hole, you pull your stake out, you don't know where, where your tree goes. So we just made this little planting board. We pull the stake, put one stake over here, add an other stake over here. So when we dig our hole and we place our tree, we have that middle notch. So that tree goes right back where that notch is. Then when you have your trees all planted, they're exactly where the stakes were. You don't have a crooked row running out there. So that's that's a little simple tool we use. Um, you know the. The, the, um, some people use um, uh, GPS mechanized planters now. You, they just drive along, you plug the tree in, it just shanks them in the ground. It's quick. They can plant, you know, hundreds of acres. Um, we're pretty, pretty old style, you know, shovels and stuff like that. Some people use an auger, you know, on the back of a tractor on the PTO. The, I, those work if your ground's in good condition, you're not too wet. The thing I don't like about those sometimes, if your ground's wet, it'll create a sheen in there and then your roots can't penetrate it unless you break it all up. It helps with the labor, but you know, shovel, you can do quite a few trees with a shovel pretty quick if, you, if you're just getting with it, you know, and you're not dilly-dallying around. My wife and I used to just go out and, I don't know how I, I, I have to calculate it every year because, you know, we have so many trees, I gotta figure out how, many, how long is it gonna take me to plant them and, you know, what, what I got, what's my next project after that? So, you know, we kind of try to calculate what it takes to put a tree in. So here you can just see we're adding uh, some of the compost tea, we're planting the tree. This is a uh, school, the school, local Advent school comes out sometimes and we just do what we're doing. And this time they came out, we showed them how to plant a tree and how to prune. And so this is the kids just there and it's, it's pretty neat. You know, they're learning some skills about how to plant a tree. So that's a little bit about that picture. Um, 
How are we doing on time? What's our... So, just checking our time. Ooh, we're getting close. So, yeah. So, uh, whitewashing is important to prevent sunburn, which can cause secondary troubles with insect damage. Uh, these these trees, meaning the nursery, the trees where I'm planting are coming out of the nursery from close quarters and then being placed in a single, as a single tree in full sunlight. So they need some protection the first year or two, or maybe more, depending on what your, how your growth is. And a water-based latex paint is adequate, but for organic methods, I use a material called surround, which is kale and clay. And most whitewashes, that's what's in whitewashes, kale and clay. It's just they use stickers to stick it to the wall or stick it to your trees. Now, uh, in this in this case, because of organics, um, one year we had an inspector come out and said, what, what's that on your tree? And I said, well, that's whitewash. And she said, oh, you can't use that. I thought, oh, wow, that's great. So we had to make our own paint. But if you're not tied to some organic rule, then latex paint, whitewash is fine. It works good and it sticks to the tree. And it really doesn't, in my opinion, there's no big deal about it but if you have to follow a certain rule that's what it is so the surround you're using is a, is a structure called it has some kind of adhesive to it no no that's why i say i, I didn't maybe i didn't mention i mix it with a sticker like new film p or some kind of sticker that's organically approved or that kind of thing so the problem with that is i try to put it on after the winter rains you could you could whitewash about any time as long as it's going to dry in fact we whitewash right after the trees planted generally because if you whitewash clear to the top and the buds are already starting to push, you're going to knock them off. And that's the other thing. When you handle that tree, you need to be careful you don't knock those new buds off. Even the little ones might be pushing at the time. And when you whitewash, that's why we try to whitewash right away because you can paint that tree and it's not too big of a deal breaking, the, breaking them off. Um, so at, we put it on after the winter rains because it not, does not stay on well as, a, as well as a regular paint. So this just shows you my uh, a picture of so I had a friend of mine just what a few weeks ago I thought he might be in this class he's here he sent me this picture he says hey what's the matter with my tree what's getting into my tree and I'm thinking oh yeah you didn't whitewash it so he didn't whitewash it so he got sunburned and you got insect infected and that's what happens so by whitewashing it like this you're going to help protect that tree because it's it doesn't have that you know, it's like you going out in the sun, w w taking your shirt off if you, when you know. <laughs> and and you know, what's going to happen? You know, first first burn of the year, it's like, ooh, yeah. Well, that's like that leaves little trees. They need some whitewash. They need some sunscreen. That's what they're getting. So, so this is my granddaughter, and this is a generational activity. I did this when I was a kid. I my kids did it. And my grandkids are doing it. It's just it, you know, it's a neat deal because. You know, who, where else do you get to go, go out there and paint and get sloppy and make a mess and have fun, you know? Is there any trees that you don't whitewash? Certain type or citrus too? So this would be a good time to take questions. Uh, he's asking, is there any certain type of tree that I don't whitewash? Um, not my fruit trees. You know, if I'm planting an orchard or anything like this, I, I whitewash them. I can't, you know, maybe an ornamental. I don't know. I, and you know I don't grow citrus and stuff like that, so I don't really know. But you know, generally, if it's if there, there's a chance of getting sunburn out of a nursery, I'd I'd paint them. Yeah. Is 
so you're asking if it's just the young trees or when they're more mature. No, just the young trees. Once they get a hardy bark, you know, it's the same thing conventionally. If you want to, you know, not, not that you're into that so much, but, you know, a lot of people put a, a, a tree protector on them. It's a cover. It's a little sleeve. And they advertise their tree, you know, like Dave Wilson or Sarah Gold or whoever, Fowler. And a lot of that's more for Roundup protection because when the trees are young, it'll absorb that herbicide and, and hurt the tree. But it'll act as a sunburn protector too, except sometimes it acts as a, you know, you go in there's yellow jackets and there's other things get hide in there too. But, or if it comes off, then your, your tree's not protected. Anyway, somebody else have a question? So I'll, I'll take some time for questions now because I think we're going to, take a break here pretty soon is that right yeah. well I've got 15 minutes for a few questions or I can go to the next slide yeah so if do we have if I have a sunburned tree like this can I save it or, or just replant it well you know early on like that it's going to be it's it, it's going to have scars larger as it grows you know I would probably try to work with this tree I would I would paint it and uh, try to keep it if, if it's, you know, uh, not, if it's got some viability on the other side, if it's, if it's really hurt it and you're going to, this has insect damage in it as well. Um, so it'll help prevent a little bit of that more again, you know, the insects, it tends to, we, we found that when we did nursery stock, um, I can't remember if we, we would bud trees right about here. So we'd grow our root stock plant it and put it in the ground in the fall, let it grow, root, it would root in the soil, and then we'd push the whole tree, it would grow a whole tree that summer. And then we would bud it right here. And that's where the insects would come in, right there. And so if we whitewash that tree, that whitewash helped prevent that, even that insect from coming in there, even on those young, young uh, uh, trees. And, but they, they get that one bud, and they kill that one bud, you kill the whole tree. Because we bud in the fall. You put the bud in, and you, you graft, put a butter in right here, and then you'll cut the top clear off once that heals over, and before the spring growth starts, you'll cut it clear off here, and that bud will push, and it makes your new tree with your fruit wood. I don't know, if, but yeah, that's just a little side story, yeah. Yeah. No, so you're asking about the, the grandma wheat, grandma white tree planting, and I, you know, I've read some of those things, and I, and I have, a, I have a, a mixed opinion about, you know, I don't want to put rocks in my field, personally. Because I go back and rip my ground, I got a bunch of rocks. Once I plant, so I'm talking, gen, you know, several years of orchards. I go back and put another, you know, I'd have rocks in my field then. Maybe that's not a big deal, you know, a few rocks, you know. But I don't know if that's the big issue. Maybe I'm wrong on that, you know. Um, you know, I, I've I've looked at some of those accounts and I think, well, this works. And you look at what I'm getting out of these trees; it's incredible. So you know, I'm not. I'm not thinking I'm doing something that's wrong by not putting a rock in there. Um, you know, these, these trees, um, this field here, um, I picked, uh, you know, we handpicked some early before we machine pick, probably in the third leaf, but probably fourth leaf is when we might start machine picking because the trees are young. We worry about skinning the trees with the harvester. Um, so walnuts, yeah, walnuts, we we kind of I think we started after sim similarly third leaf we start picking some the fourth leaf on we're probably doing with machine pick uh, even at that point yeah so you're wondering if, if in my case yeah I'm planning for for market you're wondering if you could plant an orchard for feed your family well yeah I mean that's the that's the 
that's the thing. You can, in my opinion, you got to be careful. You can plant trees. You're going to be spending money and time, and you're not going to eat everything. I mean, you're going to get so much. I mean, I've got a little backyard. I've got back. So that's the neat thing about peaches. Prunes, you can't do that. But you can plant. You can plant pluots. So you have peaches will produce from May until September, and we just plant or we graft. In your case, I don't want a whole tree of peaches at one time. So I'll take and I'll graft uh, two or three varieties on one tree, and then I get nectarines and I get another few weeks I'll get another kind another kind all in one tree because you get one tree and it produces you know several hundred pounds and you're going oh man I can't they're just all over the ground you're trying to give them to your neighbors whatever unless you're going to put them up and eat them all the time or you sell them but yeah in my case I'm looking for production because I'm going to try to maximize my production and I'm going to sell these and if you don't get that many uh, in your backyard you're just going to I've seen people well I'm going to plant a whole bunch of trees I'm thinking oh great you're going to be working and spending a bunch of money, and then what are you going to do with all the fruit? You know, unless you've got a plan for it, you know. And, of course, it's nice to see all the fruit, but pretty soon you're thinking, I, I, my down street, my neighbor's the same way. He planted a bunch of trees out there, and now they're all, all dead and dilapidated and whatever else because he couldn't take care of them, and it gave, gave them too much. You know, so planting a few of what you need, or if you're going to market them. You know, if you just, you're going out there for the romance, pretty soon you're going to be discouraged. You know, yeah. if you don't, if you just, if if you, if you can, it's going to produce a lot. One tree will can produce a lot of fruit. Yeah. Uh, just a comment in Maine, we've got 20 apple trees that are needing rootstock. We took out 80 bushels of flowers in June off of 20 trees. You know, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah. So it depends on what you're going to do. You know, you could you could take it to the market, but if you're not, if you got another job and you're just thinking, well, you know, I'm just, you know, you you might as well just plant what you want to eat. You know. Or a little bit, yeah. Go ahead. The damaged tree there from the sunburn, isn't that star going to be there most of the life of the tree? Yeah, you're wondering about this picture of the damaged tree with the scar. Yes, that's true. That's why you want to whitewash, and then your question about what to do with the tree. Yeah, you know, it might heal, and it might come around, because in another pic farther on, I, may, I don't have time to show it. We get what we call gall on walnuts, if you're familiar with that walnut crown gall. And it's like a cancer on the tree or on the trunk around the base. And you can, we carve that out of there and we chisel it and we burn it and we, we you know, so it takes the, 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 back, the gall feeds on the main tree. So you've got to almost surgery, they take that out. And it'll eventually, it, unless it's too big, it'll eventually heal over and close up if you got it all. But in, in a case like this, when they're young, it's hard to, uh, to overcome that damage. That's why I'm emphasizing whitewash the trees when they're young. Yes? You mentioned the uh, wiring. Mm -hmm. So you're asking about whether I have pictures of tying the trees with wire rope, yeah. and then you have something called well, burrs? I was just thinking about birds. Oh, birds. So birds. From, from birds. Okay. Uh, yeah, so yeah, with a lot of orchard, it's not as bad. Because you have, you know, your birds don't do quite a bit. But if you have, a, like in my case, um, you know, what I do about birds, cherries are a big are a problem. So we've got cherry trees. Cherry trees will get 30 feet tall or bigger. And so, um, you know, those are close to my house more so because I don't have a cherry orchard. Um, and so I'm a little more watchful of those. I don't worry about the birds taking too much off the top. But if I'm really protective, I'll go after the birds. I've used nets, but it's... It's hard to do. And so I just let the birds take some and I get some. 
and usually they don't I get enough off the bottom the only problem is now I'm pruning my trees short for my backyard use and also I've got some pictures in my in my grafting class pruning class of what I'm doing with those trees and why and so I'm just taking so that's a problem if, if, if you have a short tree the birds are going to get the short ones too you know and so I'm after them you know <laughs> we used to have a little outside sleeping area and I just take my shotgun out there with me and and they come in the morning and I'd go after them and, and the crows are smart you know they're and blue jays the, you can usually keep the crows out because they're they're big and their blue jays will come in and they just they're in they're gone in and gone all day long and you know it's going to be a problem I don't know unless somebody you know there's there's big companies that use these bird you know these bird eyes and owls and those might work I don't know I've never I've done some work with those but after a while they just know what they are and you got to move so they do noise noise things that that put off a noise for to try to keep them out and I'm not sure what about hanging reflective stuff reflective tape some people have done that I don't know I don't I've never really have a lot of knowledge about that, that yeah my, uh, work good for you okay so there you go maybe it works okay with that reflective I tape like <laughs> uh, question in the back oh yeah so so at a certain point the tree talking about when, when to put rope and wire at a certain point your tree's going to get the height you want and that's why you kind of, I try to focus my main limbs because that's where you want to put your I put my my rope is usually when the tree's not fully developed but it's still going to pull a pretty heavy load and you don't want it to fall apart before you get a wire on it and so maybe after 5 say 6 years or so then you kind of got your structure and then I'll we'll go with a, with a galvanized tree wire I don't think it's a 16 or I can't remember what gauge it is but it's soft and we just we take a we, you know, we string a roll out the end. We, it comes on a big roll. We put it on a reel, and we'll pull it down, and we just take a ladder, and we'll go around the tree. Usually you have a, put it through a stake with a loop in it so you can kind of get it where you want it and come around and go back up the ladder and tie it. And then you just kind of keep it. It stays there the life of the tree. It, the limbs will go right into the wire. And I've never, generally I haven't had to, to uh, wire it more than just that one time if the tree is real heavy like peaches sometimes two wires it wants to break early and you go bigger because we used to machine harvest peaches and we didn't have to worry about how big they got we just let them get real big as long as they weren't bigger than the ladder yeah where i live they put these stakes to hold up the limbs when it has heavy fruit on it that's right yeah and i don't like that personally i hate propping and putting props out and put them back in so if i can get my tree balanced the downside is when the tree the whole trees start to lean that's when i would use a prop not for each individual limb but you know this time of year we've had to go back and prop we had some heavy rain early the leaves are on the tree the winds blew and it moved some of them laid them clear over and so you have to get out there we prop them back up and we try to get them to reroute some of those that's hard to recover some of those if they've gone down too much that's why we try to put that root and we like this new rootstock. This new rootstock, it's like almost bulletproof. You just put that tree in there, and it stays there. It's just like in the ground, and that's a neat deal. So that's the thing with rootstocks, and I, I think I'll get into that a little more in my pruning and grafting class. But yeah. So, so you you were asking if I thin the fruit on peaches? Yes. 
Yes, and I, I'll talk a little bit more of that on, on pruning, but yeah, we, you, generally I would say most people that aren't used to thinning don't thin enough. You, take, you need to take off a lot of fruit to get your fruit to size on peaches. Yeah. Yeah, the question is, do I have a problem with peach curl? Yes. And, um, and uh, I think I'll get into that a little bit here in the next slide. Now, this is walnuts. Uh, but, yeah, pest control. I'll talk about pest control. Yeah, we use, there's several things we can use, depending on what you want to do with your, your deal. You know, coppers, uh, we use a material called parasitic acid. It's just a, uh, a bactericide. kills pretty quick. Uh, so copper is probably one of the main ones we use for that, but there's others. I usually just put on once in the winter. This is about now. When I get back from this conference, I'll put on the, yeah. Yes. If you grew apples and pears, would you prune them differently? If I prune apples and pears, would I prune them differently? Yes. Uh, generally, I try to, I don't, well, I, it depends. I mean, depending on what you're trying to do. If you're trying to fill with an open vase, I probably do pretty much the same. But they want to grow straighter and, and narrower. So you have to generally cut them to, to get like cherries. You got to. I do more bench cuts, which now I'm, I'm kind of advising against bench cuts in some for in some cases. But you do more bench cuts. You you're trying to cut it to move that tree to move wider, opener, more open because you know you're you've got space to fill. If you don't have to fill that much space, if you're just doing a backyard, in backyard I start to plant my stuff ten feet apart, and you could probably plant them closer if you if you prune them differently, prune them straight up like a Christmas tree. So there's different ways you can prune them, uh, but a cherry tree. Once to grow big, apples too. So I generally prune them the same, kind of open them up because I've got room generally. But if I'm if I'm doing a narrow spacing, I'll kind of I won't prune them. I'll let them go straighter and not quite so open. And I'm I'm favoring more of a, a, a an erect uh, pruning style just because of this open vase style tends to need wiring and propping and and opens up more. It exposes more of the limbs to sunburn and stuff like that when the afternoon sun. So anyway, that's just. So, it, it, I don't know if I answered your question. Yes and yes and no. <laughs> yeah, we do central leader on uh, somewhat on this new pruning style I'm doing is more of a, but it's I do I do three rather than one on that that open. Three central leaders. Yeah, three central leaders, three or four. Yeah. So anyway, I'm I'm uh, I think we we're 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 out of time here. Need to take a break anyway. Um, at 10:15, is that or is that when our next start class starts? 10:30. 10:30. So we'll take a break and then um, we'll come back and take a look at this again. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. yep. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.